0: Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt, one of the partners here at Reboot, and I could not be more excited about this conversation. We're here to showcase the heart and soul of authentic leadership, to inspire more open conversations around what we consider the most important part of entrepreneurship, the emotional struggle. And hopefully we open up some hearts along the way. We are extremely grateful that you've taken the time to be with us, and look forward to this journey ahead with you. Now, on with our conversation. Difficulties are just things to overcome, after all. And that quote is from Sir Ernest Shackleton. Ben Saunders knows very well the ups and downs that come with trying to do something great. Like so many entrepreneurs, he struggled with the challenges of being an effective leader and faced the pain of fundraising or not meeting payroll. But Ben's end goal is a bit different. He's a polar explorer. Between October 2013 and February 2014, Ben and his companion Tarka broke the record for the longest ever polar journey on foot. On their path to the South Pole, They faced nearly 50 degrees below Fahrenheit temperatures and wind chills of 70 below, all while they covered 70 marathons back-to-back on less than four hours of sleep a night. This record-breaking journey was nearly 10 years in the making for Ben and truly was an amazing accomplishment. But despite all that, he found the inner journey that followed even more challenging. In this conversation, Ben and Jerry discuss his journey on and off the ice.
1: Hey, Ben, it's really good to see you again. It's been a long time.
2: It ha- it's been a while. Yeah, it's good, good to hear your voice, Jerry.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I really appreciate your coming on this show. As you know, the, what we try to do in the podcast is talk about, uh, in some ways, the ups and downs, the the emotional life of an entrepreneur. And um, while being a polar explorer as you are, isn't um, one doesn't necessarily think of you immediately as an entrepreneur mm. since we've worked together now, I guess, since 2008, mm. I believe. Um, yeah. 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 Wow. Uh, <laughs> 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 all right. Right. You had a lot more hair back then. <laughs> and my hair was darker. I've
2: got more of my face now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just shifted. You
1: know? <laughs> um, the, the, uh, I, I've always been struck by the similarities of your journey mm. um, to achieving the goals um, and um, and that which I sort of encounter with my uh, more conventionally viewed entrepreneurs. Mm. Uh, everything from fundraising to securing the supplies to leading a team of people, sometimes well, sometimes not so well, yep. to dealing with um, disappointment and perhaps the only thing that's really different is that you actually had to face certain death <laughs> as yeah, opposed yeah, to it, psychic it, it, death.
2: Yes, yeah, it wasn't, you know, if things went wrong, it wasn't just investors, you know, and kind of venture capitalists and, and, and people that were shareholders that would be let down. You know, the stakes, the stakes are pretty high, but you're absolutely right. In, in so many ways, you know, I had almost inadvertently become the CEO of this, of this weird business yeah um and I remember you know before antarctica so so kind of summer twenty thirteen and we had you know we were signing the big sponsorship deals, the money was coming in, we had an office in London, and we had like eight people working at one point, which which I realize isn't isn't a big business by many people's standards but but for me you know who who likes living out of a backpack or a sledge in the middle of nowhere, you know walking into an office and seeing eight people and phones ringing and 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 you know emails coming in and meetings and conference calls and you know just Thinking, how the hell did this happen? And and, and you, everyone turning to me for direction and leadership. That was, that was um, an interesting learning curve.
1: Yeah, I I, I, I know you've sat in on on some of my workshops over the years, and in particular, the disappearing into the fire, the notion of surviving the startup life. And if you remember from that, one of my favorite Shakespearean quotes is from Henry V, mm. in which the night before the Battle of Agincourt, Henry in a soliloquy speaks about the burden of leadership. And he says, yeah. yep. upon the king, let us our lives, our debts, our souls lay upon the king. And, uh, you know, it's always dangerous to quote Shakespeare to a Brit, but uh, <laughs> especially with my Brooklyn accent. <laughs> so please forgive me. <laughs> but uh, did, did, does, when you think back to that time in preparation for the journey, Mm-hmm. um, does that notion of everything being on your shoulders resonate very much so
2: yeah and and I think looking back, i think in some ways um i think i think leadership came relatively naturally because i i i't i'd had yeah by that point for for, for wow. many years, sorry, my dog's barking I don't, yeah
1: don't, hey molly <laughs> uh
2: what was i oh okay, yeah so le- leadership. In many ways, you know, I had this—I had this—this—this this, this giant vision. You know, i i would set my sights on something that had never been done before. Um, this is in Antarctica. This is—and—and and, you know, finishing, trying to complete the journey that had defeated two of the biggest icons of, of polar exploration exploration in history. Uh, you know, Serena Shackleton and Captain Scott. Both these guys had had tried and failed, and 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 Scott and And his four team members died in the process, so mm. so there was this and, and no one had been on a finish the journey since so it was a totally out there vision, and I'd been working towards this goal for so many years and just in, in this kind of obsessive fashion that it seemed that people actually responded to that in, in in you know in terms of my team. they definitely responded to the to the vision and to my belief that this was possible so i think in, in that way the that element of leadership you know setting this goal and and saying i believe we can we can do this uh we we are the team that's going to make this happen and, and believing that with every fiber of my being i i think i i think that bit i did okay but the but but actually managing people mm. and getting the most out of this out of this team um i looking back i i felt pretty ill equipped to do that Um, and I'm not sure that I did in, again, it was a, it was a a steep learning curve and looking back, I'm not sure I was a great manager because in many ways I was, I was also the product in a, in a, in in a way, you know, I was the, I was the one going, we weren't selling something. We were selling my, my ability to do this, you know? Um, so in that respect, there was a lot of pressure on, on, on me personally, much of it self-imposed and, by necessity, I was—I became more and more and more focused on this goal as 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 the as you know our departure got closer.
1: It's interesting. I, I as you were talking about the way in which you inspire people, mm. um, I was recalling the way I was drawn in, um, and in some ways, our coaching relationship became slightly different in the sense that I felt very much a part of the support team. Mm. And I, I, two images came to mind as you talked about pulling this team together. So, you know, one was uh, uh, when you suggested, and I read, uh, what is it called, The Worst Journey in the World?
2: Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and Which Apsley.
2: is? Absolutely, Cherry He was the youngest member of Captain Scott's team, 20, 23 years old.
1: And he was one of the few to actually have survived, right?
2: He survived well he didn't he wasn't on the journey to the polar back. he was he was seen as too young, he had bad eyesight, he wore glasses, so he was he was excluded from that team. Um, he led one of the the rescue attempts to try and find Scott, and they turned around a few miles away from from where Scott actually was. So he never really forgave himself for that, but um he was extraordinarily intelligent and, and a brilliant writer, so he came back. From this expedition, and spent years writing this book. It's it's called "The Worst Journey in the World." It is extraordinary. The The New York Times said it it is to travel writing what what war and peace is to novel. So it's just it's a epic epic
1: book. Yeah, and I remember crying reading mm. it. Mm. I mm. remember breaking you know it breaking my heart, and and then I remember juxtaposing thinking about you and Tarker. We weren't sure at that time who 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 the team was going to be, mm. but 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 the notion of you guys walking there. Um, mm. Um, struck me, and then I, I don't think I will ever forget the videos of you and Andy Ward, the expedition manager, and others uh, clipping the corners off of <laughs> foil packages um, or shaving down toothbrushes in order to save, you know, save a brains. little weight. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And and um, while you may have perceived yourself as a less than stellar manager. Mm. I I will share with you that, you know, in my observation, I saw a level of uh, drive that was incredibly inspiring, Mm. you know, and 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 really made a difference for a lot of people.
2: I think people responded to that. You know, I I, um, often thought at times, you know, particularly – Around 2008, you know, when, when, when the recession kicked off, you know, some of that year we had real challenges. We had a, a big sponsor pulled out. I was, in many ways, back to square one. We had almost nothing in the bank. It was back to working in my spare bedroom with a laptop and a phone, and that that was it. You know, starting from scratch, phony people trying to raise money. And um, and I remember that you mentioned Andy, and he he was my sort of right hand man for for several years, really. And um, and I was thinking at that point, I didn't i couldn't make payroll i didn't have enough money to 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 you know to pay Andy, and he carried on working for me yeah, and mm-hmm. he would he would juggle part time he would he was working as a tree surgeon yeah part time to you know to pay the bills pay the rent, but he carried on working working for me so he wasn't doing this you know the team weren't doing this because it was well paid that mm-hmm. was for sure so there was something else in it and um and I think we all yeah I think we all had a lot of pride in the fact that we were tra- trying to do something um, you know, genuinely pioneering in, in, a, in, a, in a very challenging niche.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as I was thinking about connecting with you today, I was thinking also about the date. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's near the end of January, and it was just about a year ago. I think you were still on the ice making your we were way still, back.
0: We
2: were still out. This time last year, we were still out there. We were nearly finished. We must have been very close to the end of it. It was, it was uh, uh, I can I can't actually remember I need to look this up what date we finished.
1: Well, I but, think you finished yeah. in mid February and then and then there was that delay uh first in Antarctica and then in Chile yeah. before we all met again in London. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Let's go back uh and 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 you've done such a fantastic job. You did such a fantastic job of documenting the experience uh with those old blog posts and blogging from the ice with this you know inspector gadget contraption of satellite dishes that you know i mean i joke but thank goodness for intel as a yeah. sponsor for yeah, for really yeah, making yeah. all of that possible and, and and we should say thank, thank goodness for iridium because mm. we were able you and i were able to to speak fairly frequently every few days or so yeah. even for just a few minutes yeah, um, yeah. So the, to, the,
2: it was it was wonderful being able to share the story in that in that much Detail you know, in, in in real time, and we sent more in terms of sheer data. We sent more back from you know from a, a human powered expedition in the field than 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 ever before. So we were, even though it seems quite an old fashioned thing to be dragging sledges or you know, as a <laughs> polar explorer, um, we were pretty high tech, and we were doing some we were doing some cool stuff. Um, and I loved you know because I'm not I'm not a photographer, I'm not a filmmaker, I'm not a you know artist. So writing for me you know it was it was travel writing that inspired me really as a kid reading, reading books about these explorers and and um, the chance to be able to, to sort of share my diary really with with the world was 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 yeah was magical um, but it did, it didn't necessarily make things easier having that communication because it, it, we compared to scott or shackleton a century ago um our suffering was entirely optional <laughs> entirely self-imposed you know when if, if if we ever want to make it stop we just dial a number plane turns up day or two later you know if the weather is good so we weren't you know, someone asked me recently what, what what do you think it was that motivated scott or shackleton you know, kept them going i said well they were they didn't have any option they were they were skiing for their lives you know it, well, what do you use? you give up sit sit down on the sledge when it's 40 degrees below you know um and you were last indoors Four months ago,
0: mm.
2: <laughs> you, know? mm. um, you you you'd die out there. So 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 they they were skiing for their lives. Whereas for us, we always had that that safety net. And and, and having a satellite phone doesn't always make things easier. It's great being able to talk to your loved ones, but it also, in in certainly in my experience, can make you more homesick as well. Can certainly take you out of the the tunnel vision focus that you often
1: need to have. Meaning that that there's an option that you could always pull the cord and say yeah, get we hey out always, of here.
2: We could always quit and go home anytime we wanted.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? I mean, how could you forget? I, I know your answer, but I, I want to take you back to the resupply, uh, which was probably, in my experience of it, you tell me if this is right, one of the most poignant moments of the whole uh, experience. And and just just for for folks who don't know. The intention was to ski the 1,800 miles or so without any resupply.
2: Exactly, yeah. So pulling pulling everything ourselves, which was very different to the way that Scott and Shackleton travelled, who had big support teams, you know, teams, massive teams, dozens of people pre-positioning a big supply chain of depots all the way to the to the top of the Beardmore Glacier, so halfway to the pole. Um, so Scott didn't put his own sledge harness on until the bottom of the Beardmore, so, so you know, several hundred miles into the journey. So we were travelling in, in a different fashion. You know, we, of course, we had wonderful technological advances. We've got, you know, they didn't even have, even have zips. They hadn't been invented, um, mm. you know, hundred and hundred and whatever, you know, several hundred years ago. Um, so, of course, we have the modern, you know, wonderful modern clothing, equipment. We had carbon fiber skis. We've got, we have solar panels, lithium batteries, satellite phones, freeze dried food, GPS. All this, all this stuff. But in effect, it enabled us to push ourselves as as humans, you know, as athletes, even harder. So we were dragging two hundred kilos each, for, you know, four hundred and forty pounds, which is more than twice as much as Scott's men were pulling. So, so the technology doesn't necessarily make things easier. It just it just opens up new, you know, different ways of doing it and different opportunities. And and for us, it meant well for me. I, I meant that I thought it would be possible to make this journey with no support. So pulling just two guys. Pulling everything from the start, so pulling one hundred and five, one hundred and ten days worth of food, uh, the same amount of, of fuel for you know for a stove, so we could melt snow to get to get drinking water, um, and a lot of experts disagreed. A lot of people said this is impossible. Um, of you know, Doctor Mike Stroud, he was interviewed on the centenary of Scott's, of Scott's uh, death, and and uh, and was asked, you do you think with modern day clothing and food and equipment, would Scott have made it? And he said, I'm not sure. It's really hard to. I, I'm not sure he would have. Um, this may be impossible. Um, so uh, another guy, uh, Professor Tim Nooks, he 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 did a study into what he called total metabolic expenditure. So how many calories are burnt in the course of an event. And he said if you look at the toughest endurance challenges today, the Tour de France bike race, three weeks, the you know, Race Across America, there's there's a running Race Across America, that takes a you know, few weeks. Um, he said they're all in the sort of hundreds of thousands of calories. So that's how it's measured in calories. So the tour de France, for example, is about three hundred thousand calories. He reckoned that Scott and Shackleton both burnt about a million calories in their wow. in their, their respective expeditions. So we must have been close to that, if if not more, because we were pulling everything from the start. So, so it it could have been. Um, I don't want to sound too conceited, but it could have been the toughest endurance challenge ever. Mm. Um, in that, using that that um, that metric. Um,
1: it, well, I'm glad I'm glad you 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 see that because. Yeah. One of the jokes, and I've used this constantly since, since you got back, <laughs> and, and is that, I, you know, I remember having conversations with you where, and you know I love you, man, <laughs> but you were complaining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just picking holes in it. That's all, right. I, that's all right. I did. Right. Um, and, and, I, and me saying to you, do you remember this? Well, of course it's hard. You're trying to do something that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, uh, but it's oh, so, so they, hard, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, the, yeah, the, so
2: the resupply. So basically we, we, we were dragging everything ourselves. We left uh, We, left a we left 10 little depots, 10 caches of food for the return mm-hmm. journey on, on the way to the pole. Turn around at the pole, and in hindsight, we'd probably misjudged the, the final depot. We left it quite a long way from the pole, thinking we'll be fast. The sledges will be almost empty. We'll turn around at the pole. We'll have a, a tailwind. we be really quick. You know, leave be flat. The conditions will be great. And we were wrong on almost every count. You know, the, the weather turned really shit. We had, to, you know, there was no tailwind at all. The surface got really poor. The sledges are, you know, it's just, there's just so much friction between the sledges and, the, and the, in this particular type of snow. Uh, we were exhausted. We'd already covered 35 marathons back to back, you know, in, in the coldest place on earth. Um, we're now at altitude, twelve thousand feet on the Antarctic plateau, so that makes things harder. And we really started to struggle and and I realised we weren't gonna reach we were gonna run out of food before we reached this first depot. So we we started halving our rations. So we'd eat half rations, which was terrible. I mean, just just I've never been that hungry or, or, or debilitated. We lost a lot of weight, um we just were g- genuinely exhausted. Uh we started becoming hypothermic, tarka first quite severely I had it mildly a couple of days later and you become utterly um disoriented I mean you don't know where you are what's going on it's like being completely blind drunk and it comes on very quickly it's very awkward you don't, you don't really notice it happening you feel comfortable you don't feel cold Um and uh, it, it's it's really dangerous hmm. you know I had to put Tarker into bed and make him a hot drink he didn't know where he was, what was and I was in a similar state a few days later so I, I just thought this is a huge risk we were we were we had almost no food left we had half a day's food left between us um, we had about two days travel to do to get to this depot the weather is bad very cold we're at altitude and this for me was was absolutely i'm talking about leadership this was the crux of the whole trip this was you know right Ben, this is this is this is this is on you you know how how much risk what are you willing to risk here how much does this goal mean to you does it mean your life your friend's life you know, getting him back to what? what what's your priority here? You know, um, so the decision I took was to was to stop, to put the tent up, uh, light the stove, eat the food we had, and call for a resupply. So to call for a, a ski plane to bring out some more food. So they brought us eight days more food. Um, it cost about a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> it's the world's most expensive takeout. Uh, and it, it, yeah, it, it kind of compromised the style of this of of the way of you know, the, the expression the way I wanted to do it but it meant we could carry on and finish this this journey um, of course Scott Shackleton as I said were, were both supported so it didn't mean we were doing it in a different way to them um, you know they had people using tractors and horses and dogs we had an aeroplane that came in but we were both supported you know externally um, and I would wanted to do this unsupported so so yeah I remember I remember like really we were talking last last year I remember like really beating myself up thinking thinking, like what what could we have done differently Like this was just and I remember talking about it, it as flawed. Like the whole expedition mm-hmm. was being flawed by this, by this thing, which um and I have I don't i have told you this, but you know, I was in South Africa over Christmas and um mm-hmm. I did a long bike ride and and uh it was the opposite to Antarctica. It was it was too hot, it was insanely hot, and the, the challenge was like how much water could I carry on the bike to do these long rides? And I got lost one day and ended up doing it, going a bit further than I thought. So I was probably a Probably a bit wobbly anyway, when I was riding back to the house, and I'd almost got back and there was a big hill I had to you know ride over this 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 thing to get back to the house I was staying at. and i suddenly I had this this really emotional and I think it was kind of compounded by how exhausted I was on the bike and probably a bit of heat stroke and whatever. But uh, that's me being English saying i didn't really get emotional i it must have been something i I started crying, but it must have been to do with the blood it was too.
1: biology it wasn't yeah, it, it means, wasn't my emotion
2: yeah, right? heat, heat stroke i think was the, yeah. Yeah. but i but I suddenly realized and this was this was december last year, so um it was that nine months ten months after the expedition mm. to get him back, I suddenly realized that i'd never i'd never actually Congratulated myself, um, mm-hmm. and, and I actually get emotional now. I think you're thinking because because we, it, it, being English, you're told not to do that. You're told that that's that's conceited, that's that's egotistical. That's you know. Um, but all I'd done was beat myself up. All I'd done was 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 think, oh, well, you know, I have made so many mistakes. You know, uh, wish we'd done this, wish we'd done that. Maybe yeah, what could we have done to avoid getting the resupply? Just the whole time, just picking picking holes in it. And, um, and I was giving a talk yesterday and I, and I said, we were talking about failure and, um, and in many ways, you know, I've led 11 big expeditions now, um, 10 in the Arctic, five in Greenland, um, you know, one big one in in Antarctica, obviously. Um, and looking back, I don't think a single expedition or on any expedition have I achieved everything I set out to achieve. So on some levels, Every one of my expeditions has been a failure. You know, you could, you could, you could label them all as failures. It was flawed, or however you want to look at it. Um, but it's only through failing and failing and failing, and 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 generally I'm failing because I've always set my sights so fucking high. You know, mm. it's only through doing that that I've done the things that I have. And uh, you know, we broke the le- the record for the longest ever polar journey on foot. I'm I'm right at the top of my game. I'm, you know, a pioneer in in the field that I that I was wanted to do something in. Um, we've we've you know we finished the journey that two of the biggest icons of of of, of polar expression couldn't finish. The and worst no, journey I, in the world. Yeah, and, and that no one's been able to do since. So so we've 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 pulled off a lot to be proud of, and I keep saying we because I don't even I don't want to say I. <laughs> <You> know, <that's- laughs> And there is, there is, of course. There's a we. There's an enormous support. There've been so many people. But, but I guess I, I in, in a sense, and I realised in South Africa, riding up this long hill in the in the sun, that I'd never really, I had never congratulated myself. I'd, all I'd done was pick holes in this thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what the moral of that story is. But um, it's, it's 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 yeah. I think I think so often we just sort of move on to the next thing and and very rarely do we, do we step back and appreciate what we've, what we've done, what we've achieved.
1: Well, that was, that that brings me to, to the thing that I, that I think might be most powerful to talk about. And, and and that is what I've been referring as the journey after the journey, Mm. you know, because, you know, and I'll let you tell the story because obviously it's your story, but, This notion of failure, the notion of success, you know, we were talking a little bit before the recording began, and there's the consequence of failure, of course, and then there's the consequence of success. Mm. And, you know, in my observation, again, having been close to you for so long and watching you in the months since Antarctica was over, Chile, from Chile back to the UK. Mm. You know, we were there, we were all together, you know, for those few days, bright lights, paparazzi, literally paparazzi at the airport. And then some really dark times, some hard times. There were.
2: Yeah, I I mean and I'm not sure what I'd expected. There, there was there was definitely there was a brief blip of of, you know, media interest, but but it didn't, you know, launch me to stardom. There wasn't there wasn't sort of massive public acclaim and I think I'd expected more recognition in, in a way looking back. Mm-hmm. Um and there wasn't there wasn't a great deal. And in some ways there was a kind of misconception that this has all been done before, hasn't it? Yeah, surely. Um, Yeah, Prince Harry was in Antarctica for for a week or so at some (laughs) point. So people would say, "Oh, were you down there with Prince Harry?" You know, or or "Oh, my grandmother went on a cruise to Antarctica. Did you see her when you were down?" So there was
1: definitely a a misconception that it's all it's all been done nowadays, hasn't that? Surely that's been done before, hasn't it? Um, I I think that's also rooted in in a misunderstanding of the size of Antarctica. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's, this, this, there's. I can go to the coastline of Antarctica on a cruise ship, yeah. and say I've been to the South Pole, but actually, you, 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 you're exactly. not.
2: No, you've been to the edge of this continent that is twice the size of Australia, the same same size as China and India put together. It's it's, it's vast. It's a huge, huge right. place. Um, so yeah, so there was there was a kind of, mis- and then I started to realize, and this has taken me a few months to to to, to realize this. Well, there are a couple of big lessons. The, the first one is, um and I forget who it was that said this. I think it was a concert pianist, and I can't remember his name, who, who it was, but he said, if you, he said, if you only play for the applause, then you're putting your happiness in someone else's hands. Mm. And, and I started to think, really, no one else knows. You know, Tarko, my teammate, is the only person that knows what it was like. Yeah. And he's the only person that could ever know what it was like. And no one else really has any reference points. Even in my world, you know, we went we went f- over 400 miles further than any any expedition in history. So, um, so no one else has any reference points. And and for the and for the layman, you know, if if I'm like waiting for this kind of public acclaim, how how on earth can I expect Joe public to understand what we've what we've done, appreciate what we've done, or, or how it differs from other expeditions? You know, um, because they have no idea. We yeah we, 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 we were. Um, the coldest temperatures were were in Fahrenheit, probably in the negative negative fifties. Uh, wind chill into the into the sixties or seventies below zero. Um, we were we covered nearly seventy marathons back to back, eighteen hundred miles. Uh, we were averaging about four and a half hours of sleep per night. We were there for one hundred and five days. We were outside on our feet for an average of thirteen hours a day. Um, we were pulling. I said 440 pounds each at the start that is uh, uh, that's a there's a bathtub with two fat guys in it you know <laughs> now who's trying to pull a bathtub with two fat guys in it? no no one no one who's been camping for nearly 4 months in in an average temperature of I don't know minus 25 or so? no no one no one's that stupid so 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 no one really has any <laughs> reference points. so for me to for me to be waiting for uh, I don't know this this sort of groundswell of public approval. Like, oh yeah, we can we can we can recognise that that's mm-hmm. X degrees harder than you know. It's just stupid. You know? mm. It's never it's never going to happen. If Tark is the only person that's going to get this, then then the public, are, you know, how can I expect the public to be to be or the media or whoever it is that I'm, you know? So um, so I think one of the biggest lessons of this of the expedition, well there are two. What one one is about um you know here, we've talked so much over the years about about mindfulness and about presence and and and, mm. and in many respects i was spending years living in the future you know like aiming towards this finish line like i this is this is my mission this is my ob- obsession i'm for years i put everything into making this project happen into 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 getting to antarctica And then getting to the pole and getting back to the coast again, like finishing this journey, that was the mission. That was the so so always it was aiming. The aim was that finish line, Mm -hmm. stepping ashore at Ross Island, which is the 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 landmark at the edge of Antarctica, where Scott's hut is. That was our that was Scott's finish line. The way that he never crossed, it was Shackleton's would have been Shackleton's finish line as well. And it was our finish line. It was the same exactly the same route. Um, So this journey was ten years in the making, really millions of pounds raised and spent in sponsorship over the years. There were 10 expeditions leading up to it. Each one was a stepping stone. Um, so many challenges along the way. And then you have this epic journey. You have 1,800 miles of genuine suffering. Yeah, really, It was a really tough, 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 tough expedition. And then you get, after 105 days, you get to this this finish line at the end, and there's a very definite crack in the ice between the, the ice of the Ross Ice Shelf and the, 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 the obvious rock shoreline of Ross Island and you step over this you step over this crack and we've done it we've finished the journey you can take off the sledge harness for the last time and of course nothing changes
0: mm-hmm. nothing
2: nothing you know that I crossed the finish line that I've been aiming for, for for more than a decade you know most of my adult life this has been the goal and I reach the goal, and I cross the line, and nothing happens. Nothing, nothing happened. Hmm. Um, and I think so often we, 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 you know, we, we think, well, you know, things are shit now. But, um, but when I, you know, when we close the second round of investment, or when I, when we, when we go, when we, when we, you know, uh, whatever, you know, IPO, or when we, when we ship the first product, or when we, when I've made a million, or when I've sold the business, or you know, whatever, then I'll be, then I'll be happy. Or when I've had kids. Or got married, or the kids at university, or you know mm. bought the holiday home, or the private jet, or then I'll be happy, you know. Um, and looking back, you know, some of the happiest moments of the trip were are halfway through. And the, 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 of course, there is this huge cliche about the the journey being the bit that matters and not, and not the destination. But um, but we still always aim for finish lines. And I'm not saying there's, there's anything wrong with it. I think that's I think it's important. But I think that the biggest lesson of all has been the importance of 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 decoupling um, kind of self-worth, self-esteem, I don't know what you want to call it, and and achievements, and particularly sort of external validation, um, praise, criticism, any of that stuff, because none of it matters really. Um, and and self-worth is something that is inherent. We are all worthy people, you know. And we're all so complex as human beings that, that to be... Um, Boiled down to, you know, how good we are at business, or how good we are at dragging a sledge, or how much money in the bank. You know, that is what a what a pitiful way of assessing someone's goodness. You know, Mm. Um, so we're so complex, we're so sort of multifaceted that there, there is no, there's, it's absolutely impossible to objectively judge someone as good or bad. So why do we do that to ourselves the whole time? Certainly, why why was I doing that to myself? Why was I thinking, well, you know, things are shit now, but but things will be good. I'll have i have made it when I've done X, yeah. And and this is something that only really has really just sunk in in the last few months. You know, maybe it's all this time to think in Antarctica, just finally, mm-hmm. finally clicking into place. But um, but realizing that, that, that if you if you if you hang your self worth on on your achievements, you know, on on your work, on on what other people say about you or think about you, then then that's you know that's never going to lead to fulfillment. Um, contentment you know happiness um, so happiness isn't a finish line that you get to one day it's it's either here right now or it's not and that, and that's down to you, you know? mm. so that was a big lesson mm. um, and there was a lot I mean I, I think looking back I, th- I think I think you know Tarka was a wonderful um, he was in some ways just a perfect companion I can't imagine finishing that trip with, with anyone else to be honest he was just he was incredible I mean Tower of strength, stalwart. Um, you know, uh, so humble, um, incredible guy. Never complained. Never, never. You know, never ever. Just uh, uh, literally skied until he dropped with 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 hypothermia. I mean, he he came close to losing his thumbs to frostbite. You know, never, never a word of complaint. Never, you know, never asked me to slow down. Never, you know, never never complained if I was slow. Amazing guy, and and he's he's extraordinary because he he's almost devoid of ego. He just doesn't care about about what anyone else says or thinks of him. And I kind of finally hopes
1: when I'm when I'm grown up, I could be a bit more like Tarka. Well, the piece that that was striking me so much was the way in which you used the months after the journey to really process what had happened. Mm and to sort of see um, some of the core questions, some of the core issues that had had arisen during that whole process. And and, uh, I think that there is... I'm so admiring of the way in which you have, in effect, pieced together the existential thoughts that are enabling a recovery. Uh, you know, you, you, you describe so eloquently the ways in which your body was just physically drained. Mm-hmm. You know, that calorie count is, you know, such a symbol. Yeah. And I know that the, that the months preceding, you know, there, there were weeks, you know, I'll say it out loud. There were weeks where you just disappeared, my friend. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were all worried about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. we also knew that you were, you, you were kind of in a hole recovering. Is that is that a fair statement? Very much so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, a couple of people said it, it 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 looks and
2: sounds like PTSD. Yeah, and I said, well, don't, don't be ridiculous. I did, we didn't go to war. You know, no one was trying to kill us, or should, but this this place was trying to kill us. You know, most mm. days. Uh, but it sounded kind of decadent. You know, we, we we chose to be out there. We didn't. This was a, in many ways a trip of a lifetime. So it sounded it sounded kind of self indulgent to say, well, yeah, I've got PTSD. But but I was in a deep hole deep hole i mean physically mentally absolutely spent um i just i'd given it everything i had to 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 finishing this journey i mean everything went into it and 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 not just the three and a half months antarctica but the 10 years leading up to it
1: Um, well and and to to circle back to the point you were making you'd mm. given everything you had not only in achieving the goal, but in achieving mm. the kind of wish for extrinsic, external affirmation of self-worth. Yeah. 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 And and then to find the emptiness mm. um, that comes. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, I, 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 I think
2: I think that's I think that's one of the the, the, the paradoxes, and, and and I'm sure it's true of. Many, most, probably all the people you work with, and, and many people mm-hmm. listening to this is is that if you're the kind of you know for most entrepreneurs, most people that that, that do big things in difficult conditions, um, could be in Antarctica, in Antarctica, could be launching a business in, in the United States. You know, if you're doing something pioneering, doing something new, um, trying to trying to do something or make something that's never been done before, invariably you, you're going to be the kind of person to make it work it's going to take everything you've got and we talked about the the, the you know the walking into the into the fire um, and if you are the kind of person that that can do that can focus 100% can commit 100% to can put everything into making your goal happen then of course if you're doing that if that's taking 100% of your bandwidth then there is zero bandwidth to think well what happens when we, when i've done it you know what happens when when i've crossed the finish line then 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 what and i academically i was kind of aware of of athletes, you know, guys that have won the Tour de France or the World Cup or an Olympic gold medal or whatever it is, you know, c- c- falling into a bit of a hole afterwards, you know, because you, you, you've done it. You've, you've, you've done the thing that you dreamt of doing. But I hadn't really thought about what would happen to me, and, and there was definitely a hole afterwards. Um, yeah. It was wonderful to talk to people that had been through similar, similar things. And, and it was fascinating. You know, I spoke at TED in March, and, and even that was just so hard because I, I came there five weeks after we stopped skiing. And everyone else, and this is the big main stage TED, the 30th anniversary TED. So Bill Gates is there, Sting is. Mm. That. I mean, just it was extraordinary. And I was the least prepared out of anyone. I, I've never felt less prepared to give a talk in my life. So it was it was really nerve wracking, really stressful, because I was still processing. and I was still mm. totally shell shocked. <laughs> so I gave this talk, and I, and I speak. I do a lot of professional speaking, and 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 normally I, I never use notes. I never use. I'm you know, but for this TED talk. I didn't know what I was going to say. It was the first talk I would given since I got back from tour. talk. I'd, I'd never tried to tell this story on stage, let alone at TED. So, so the film is on the, the, that TED talk is online now and I've got notes, which which is a real TED note. Like I had, I had notes because my short term memory was so shot. I'd keep forgetting what, what I was talking. Yeah. You know? So I had to have these crib notes in front of me, just, just kind of bullet points of things I wanted to say. It was a talk that I was making up as it went on. Really. It was just, it was totally raw. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, I and I couldn't bring myself to watch it for the whole of last year. I was so ashamed. I thought I've just done. I, I haven't done this opportunity justice. I, I, I didn't prepare. I again beat myself up. You know, mm-hmm. I hear what hear, you know, what an amazing opportunity, and I and I fucked it up. And actually, looking back, I think the talk works because it, it, it's the antithesis to most modern day TED talks, which are very slick and mm-hmm. polished and rehearsed. And this was pretty raw and pretty honest. Um, and I wasn't trying to dress it up, and 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 the story was, yeah, about about the journey after the journey. What happens when you do the thing that you've dreamt of doing for so long? You know, what happens when that's done? And it's amazing the response that got, particularly at TED, and how many people came up to me and said, "Look, yeah, amazing. I yeah, you know, how I felt exactly the same way." When I sold my first business, or made my first million, or billion, attempt, you know, yeah. or when I yeah. when I got my first platinum album, or my first Grammy, or my first, you know, same thing, nothing changed, felt a bit hollow, um, bit of a bit of a slump afterwards. Yeah, you know, didn't really know what I was. Going. I had a, a brilliant email exchange. I hope you won't mind me mentioning uh, a guy called Sam Morgan, who's uh, amazing. Uh, he's a, he's a he's a New Zealander. He's a big philanthropist now. Um, great guy, a few years older than me. He, he sold a business called Trade Me, which is a kind of a local sort of eBay eBay type thing in New Zealand. Um, he sold it for, I think, $150 million when he was 29. And he, he kind of realized the day he sold the business that he never had to work a single day in his life ever again,
0: mm-hmm.
2: age 29. And he said it was he, – he described it as depressing. Mm-hmm. You know? and for most people, the idea of 150 million dollars hitting your bank account—you know—that that, that, how can that be depressing? and He described it as depressing, and uh, I just had this brilliant email exchange with with, with Sam, and I met him through through, through Ted several years ago, nine nine years ago now, um, and uh, extraordinary kind of sort of similar experience. You know, he he put everything into this business mm-hmm. um, in his twenties, sold it, made a fortune, poof, now what? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Done it. I've done it. I've done it, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It 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 reminds me of my own experiences in that way, and and I think of you know to put a a larger uh, construct on it. So many people that I work with, so many people out there, fear failure mm. for understandable reasons, and and I think for for very similar reasons. You know William James said that, that it is not failure that annihilates us it's when we attach our sense of self esteem and self worth to accomplishment of goal that we are and then fail to achieve the goal that we are annihilated yep. um, and there is a subset of people who fear success mm. right and and we see those you know those in coaching and therapeutic circles see that as a kind of nefarious sort of subterranean phenomena and so they create chaos around them and mm. and and there's that but i think in some ways when we attach a sense of self-worth and self-esteem to the goal we may in effect fear completion
0: mm.
1: and there may be a sense of death associated with completion yep right because I have for so long used the pursuit to create energy, yeah. to create a life force, mm. uh, to substitute uh, self-love, mm. uh, substitute self-love as, as the driver, self-care mm. as the driver. Uh, we use this external chasing. And and I, I think about it in, in, in the context of, you know, and... Folks who followed my career know that I have often spoken about turning 38 and and leaving the offices of the New York City 2012 Olympic Bid Committee and passing what was then the smoldering pile of of what had been the World Trade Center in February 2002 and and wanting to kill myself and 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 it was one of those moments where things come into sharp focus and you realize that that. That you know, for me, there's in, in the states we have this image of, of when people are on a carousel or a merry-go-round, the goal was to gr- reach out and grab a ring, a brass ring. And if you grabbed a brass ring, you won the prize. And you know, I would often say, I had the brass ring in my damn hand, And the brass ring was my children would not have to work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the sense of safety and security that was so long sought after was there in my grasp, and it felt hollow. It felt empty. And I remember reading a book called Listening to Midlife by Mark Gerzon, G-E-R-Z-O-N, and in it he quotes Buzz Aldrin, who was the first man to to orbit the Earth, and, and he said, he's reported to have said that when you see the Earth from the vantage point of the moon, what else is there? And it's so poignant You know, and and of course, he had this sort of post-expedition collapse
0: Mm.
1: afterwards uh, because the removal of the goal, the removal of the completion of that journey, um, which I think we imbue it with some magical qualities, right? You are going to step Mm -hmm. off the plane in London, and Her Majesty the Queen herself will will put roses at your feet and say thank you for restoring the dignity to the British empire you know and as i recall it actually wasn't quite like that there were yeah. paparazzi but you had to keep going back and forth and so the tv crews could get the same view
2: <laughs> yeah it's yeah the reality wasn't quite as glamorous and and and, and uh, um it's funny. I mean, you're talking. You rewinding re- 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 back to to the to the failure thing. You know, my, my mm. first my first ever expedition, yeah, you know, 2001. I was 23 years old. Um, mm. Was in so many ways a giant failure. You know, all, almost everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong on that first trip, and it and it knocked me sideways for a long time. And I, and I, I eventually learned, and this took a few a few months really after after coming back from that first trip, that the most Important question I could ask myself was 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 not what happens if I fail because that that's what holds a lot of people back I think like what you know for me it was there was a lot writing on it yeah you know, I I put everything I had into this but all my savings it was it was you know it, was, it would have been a very public it was a very public failure you know sponsors you feel like you're letting people down we didn't achieve what, what but I, I I finally got over that and, and and learned that the most important question was 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 not what happens if I fail but but more, what happens if I'm so scared of failing, so caught up in this fear of failure that I don't even try? Like, mm. what what happens? Th- what what's the consequence of that? Yeah. Um, so that was that was that was an important lesson. But then the flip side of that is, is as we've said, this, this 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 working to kind of decouple self worth, self esteem, self respect from 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 achievement or from external validation. Um, and I'm I I guess. Um, and i 'm probably a bit late to this party. I remember Tony Hale, great mate of, mate of mine years ago recommending a book about stoicism. And of course i never got around to reading it but but i, I 'm slowly realizing that that actually that that makes a lot of sense you know mm. um, and particularly in Antarctica, all the stuff i 've done to the North Pole, you know ski solo to the North Pole in two thousand and four um you 're in a, an environment where so many factors are completely outside your control mm. and and the only thing really you can control is your reaction to what's going on, yeah, your own emotions and, and how you behave as, as a result of them. And that ultimately, I think that's, that's a big part of stoicism. And I'm still, I'm still working on that, but I think that's, that's important. And, and and for so long, yeah, I guess part of me was looking for the, for the, you know, the, the applause, the recognition at the end of these, the, the, uh, at the end of an expedition one day where finally, I would make it, I would, mm-hmm. I would do it, you know, and, uh, yeah I, I I guess you boil it down to, to ultimately I wanted to do something I could be proud of um, so uh, so let me ask you yeah are you proud yeah I, I, I I'm proud of myself for finally getting to the point where I realized that it doesn't really matter hmm. it doesn't yeah it was it was a fun thing to do it was a great project we've 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 inspired some people along the way you know i've raised money for charity over the years did various expeditions but ultimately and i say it doesn't matter in, in terms of how i see myself how i how i have my own self-worth it's irrelevant you know self-worth is is, is 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 intrinsic we are all worthy human beings you don't have to walk to the south pole and back to do something to be proud of or to be proud of yourself um so um so that's been the, the
1: biggest lesson i guess you know, uh, you, you know. over the years we've talked a lot about Buddhism and you know mm. how important it's been in my journey mm. after the journey, if you will. And I know, um, without revealing too much, I know that you carried a bit of Pema Chodron with you down in the I ice. did. I did. Uh, I did. Yeah. So shout yeah. out to Ani Pema. Mm. Yo, yo, Abs- yo. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. She was, she was with me on the Kindle
2: in Antarctica. <laughs> Fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was brilliant. But, you know, one of the things that I love about um, the philosophy is, you know, because this whole question of self-worth and self-esteem is so wrapped up in especially the Westerners journey into Buddhism. You know, most Westerners who find their way to Buddhism don't do so because they feel whole and complete. They find their way through this process of brokenness. Yeah. And so the question of self-worth is often there. And from a buddhist perspective i love this notion we are inherently worthwhile Mm. and the evidence of that is having been born human because only human beings have the potential for enlightenment Mm. we are not better than other sentient beings Mm. but only human beings and so whether you believe in reincarnation or not, the notion that you in this body, in this physical meat bag called a human body, (laughs) um, uh, your life force reincarnated in that is evidence of the fact that you are worthy. Mm. And I love that. Uh, You know, it makes self-worth a birthright, Mm. not something that has to be earned. Mm. You know, and that, that... for, for, for a reformed Catholic who often struggled with the notion of having been born in sin, this gives me a little bit of comfort.
2: You know? Yeah. Uh. I'm laughing, laughing also because when we first met, first introduced 2008... I remember thinking, yeah, here's here's a guy that raised a shit ton of money for the New York 2012 Olympic campaign. He can help me raise a shit ton of money too. He's he's a good good person to talk to for some good, no-nonsense, commercial fundraising <laughs> advice and that's like the one thing we've just spent the least the time least amount talking. of time <laughs> well,
1: well you, you have to understand that i use other people's wishes to become rich as a subversive tool to lure them in to talking about the deeper existential issues <laughs> i'm seductive and nefarious in my own right <laughs> well ben that you know we'll we'll start to close it out on that um I can't thank you enough for this. It's uh you know, as Good always, pleasure. it's 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 um I feel so honored and privileged to have borne witness to this experience with you and um you know, I'm I'm sure the coaching federation will be annoyed with me when I say that yes. what began as a coach client relationship has emerged as a deep and powerful friendship and very much I'm so I really yeah. So,
2: I'm grateful for that too. So thank, thank you, Jerry.
1: Thank you, my friend. Thank you.
0: So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io/podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together. Right.